Well, welcome back to the Communication Mastery Podcast. I'm Mark Berlinson, and this is Season 1, Episode 6. And today I want to talk about distress in communication. We mentioned this in one of the earlier episodes, I think Episode 3, that each language has its own unique distress pattern. And one of the key things I found valuable in strengthening communication mastery is to recognize the unique distress patterns. Because, well, let me put it to you this way. Have you ever had a speeding ticket? Most of us have, right? And the key thing with a speeding ticket is you wouldn't have got it if you'd noticed the signs, if you'd noticed what was around you, if you'd noticed where the cop was. If you knew where the cop was, you'd drive differently. That's why some of the GPS apps that show you where the cops are are so popular. That's why radar detectors are banned in some states. (laughs) If we knew where the cop was, we'd drive differently. In the same way, if we understand to recognize the distress in each of the languages, then we're going to find that we will be able to communicate differently and avoid those kind of communication infractions, those speeding tickets of communication that can so often cost us so much. And so uh, we have predictable patterns of response when our different languages go into distress. Distress comes when, in the communication, the need of my preferred language isn't being met. Uh, It may be my need from others, it may be the filter question that I'm asking in that language, or it may be simply that my strengths and my passions in this communication uh, don't find a a landing place, don't find a place to, uh, to be effective or to be contributing to whatever we're working on. And so... If I can recognize those, then I can avoid the, the, uh, the accidents that might follow. But sadly, most people I discover haven't really learned the differences between the seven different communication styles, and they don't understand how they're wired themselves, let alone how other people are wired differently. And so they're constantly in distress. And so it's so often easiest to recognize which primary language a person is speaking by the distress flares that they're exhibiting. Um, Because these things are not something you can suppress. If that language is in distress, you're going to see it. Very much like the warning light on your dashboard when your fuel tank gets low. That light comes on when the level gets down. Uh, And of course, it's simple to fix it once you recognize it. But if you put a piece of tape over that warning light so you don't see it uh, and you ignore it, then you're going to find there is a problem because you ignored the warning. Same with distress flares. If we recognize them and we teach ourselves to recognize them more quickly and more effectively, then we can make a big difference to our communication. So let's talk about uh, distress flares in a little more detail. I wanted to focus on it here because I used to see distressed behavior as a reason to withdraw from other people. You know, if somebody around you is in distress in communication, the easiest thing to do is to avoid that person, right? (laughs) And if somebody's coming at you in their distress and and one of their distress flares is is an attack type distress flare, which often they are, uh, then your reaction can often be, "Uh, keep away from me, I'm going to go talk to somebody else, Uh, this conversation's over. But what I want us to reprogram ourselves, if you like, retrain ourselves, is to see distress flares as an invitation to make a difference, as an invitation to help, not to reject as an invitation to work out what needs to change so that this person can communicate because then we get the benefit of their participation in whatever setting we're in. So today's biggest takeaway, and I'll repeat this at the end, distress is an invitation to make a difference. 
Uh, it's not an invitation to reject or sideline somebody because they're in distress. Distress is an invitation to make a difference. So my understanding from uh, episode three, when we talked about the different languages, uh, would come into play if I can identify what the distress is that the person is experiencing in our interaction or in this communication. It may be in a larger group where somebody feels excluded or sidelined. Uh, or it may be in something one-to-one -one where we haven't understood each other sufficiently so that I can make a, a, a connection with you that helps us both to communicate more clearly. So if I can identify which language is in distress, then I can do the things that we talked about previously where I can answer the filter question for that language or I can meet the need from others for that language or I can uh, make room for the passion and validate the key character strength that that language carries. That will make a difference. It'll refill the tank, if you like. It'll make a difference to the person in distress and, and most likely will restore successful communication simply because I took it as an invitation to make a difference rather than uh, an opportunity to push somebody aside. So I find that the action languages are the easiest to spot when they're in distress because they're all about action, of course. Uh, so the innovative, the direct mover language, for example, they're going to show distress that looks like attack, demand, attack. They're going to come on strong if they're in distress. And, of course, that's no fun. And it certainly doesn't help communication to be effective. But if I respond to that invitation rightly, the mover very quickly returns to healthy communication patterns and things can be restored. Uh, so there needs to be a healthy vision and their courageous passion uh, needs to be included in every interaction but if I can simply answer their filter question of what's your motive uh, and respond to them with that need for action uh, and congruency then I'm going to see a difference in that mover's distress very quickly because the mover's very responsive to their surroundings uh, especially if it contributes to progress and so uh, distress flares for the mover can be a very helpful thing to understand so that we can fix it quickly before it causes more damage. The other uh, action language, the, the, the diligent doer, is the opposite. Uh, so uh, in distress, the doer is likely to be grumbling or complaining or acting like a martyr. Uh, you know, nobody notices what I do or nobody else is helping with what needs to get done. I'm the only one around here who does anything, that kind of thing. And um, their attention to detail is highlighting things that need to get done or is uh, recognizing that other people are not doing their share or is sensitive to the fact that the task isn't going to get completed on time because of these things that are undone. And that's going to be a very difficult thing to deal with for the doer unless, again, we respond seeing it as an invitation to help. We all start to do our share. It may not be a large share, but if you're doing a share, that will help the doer to move out of distress and back into healthy communication. So moving through the languages, the next easiest category, intelligence category, that we can identify distress in is most likely the emotive languages, the, uh, the responder and the influencer, uh, especially the responder, because the responder is a very passionate, very creative language. And uh, 
If that passionate creative language is prevented from offering compassion effectively or, or if they're not able to protect a, a situation or a person or a cause that they care about, then they're going to be uh, moving into distress. Or if they're not heard or understood with acceptance, then that distress is going to come out as, as complaining or maybe attacking those that they see as uncaring or maybe in getting depressed or withdrawn. Um, so the responder language, very important that we learn to recognize some of those signs because it's a very common language in the population as a first or second language. And uh, so about 50% of the population probably have that language high in their profile somewhere. The other emotive language, the influencer, is a little more different. It's, it's more focused on the group uh, than the individual. The influencer values connectedness um, for the affirmation that that offers to that language. And so distress for the influencer would look different from a responder, but still it's obvious because it's felt. And when something's felt, then it's hard for us to hide it. Um, so distress for the influencer would look like either denying um, something. It's, gonna, it's preventing disconnection, if you like. No, 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 that's not what I meant. <laughs> that kind of reaction. Or arguing to maintain connection. No, no, hear what I'm saying which most of us would receive as arguing, but actually what the influencer is doing is trying to maintain connection. Or sometimes the influencer will simply escape from that setting and say, would you excuse me, I need to go do something else right now, uh, and cut and run, if you like. <laughs> so those distress flares for the influencer help us to recognize that connection is needed and what can we do to make that connection work. Then if we move to the cognitive languages, the final three languages, the, the, the shaper is, is really wired to lead. And, and they're very uh, strong in organization and in strategy. And so distress here looks like uh, criticizing somebody's lack of plan, for example, uh, or taking over or eliminating someone who's not supporting my plan, pushing people aside and just getting on with the goal uh, so that um, we're not delayed in completing that task and we're not, uh, we're not pulled off course on the track that we've set by somebody who's not who's not on the <laughs> not on the game if you like um, or most of these positive uh, qualities in the languages are what's reflected in the negative in the distress flares so the shaper uh, criticizing taking over is the opposite of what that language is wired to do and that's especially true for the producer language because the producer is very much focused on on resourcefulness and creating abundance and so a producer in distress is going to uh, restrict or withhold uh, or over-organize things, uh, where what's supposed to be a positive uh, will then become a negative because it's been, the volume's been turned up, a little bit like feedback on a, a PA system. You turn the volume up too high, and then it screeches. And that's the, the case with the distress for the producer language. Very interesting for the producer, if you simply get back to what the producer needs from others, uh, which is the sense that you are managing your life uh, and that, uh, that you're being productive and resourceful, uh, as well as appreciating them for their resourcefulness, uh, that will make a great difference. Uh, so they'll move from controlling to being a great resource and creating more abundance again. It's a big difference that I've seen in several cases when I've, when I've coached high first language producers. And then the, our final language is that intelligent, deep-thinking, contemplator language. Um, 
little more difficult sometimes to see the distress for the contemplator because they tend to be a little more introverted, a little more to themselves. But a contemplator in distress will either justify because they know they're right uh, or they'll accuse because they know you're not right. <laughs> so that advanced knowledge of facts and of core principles uh, or the things that are truly at stake behind the presenting situation, all of that will come out in a contemplator's distress. Or the contemplator will simply withdraw and, and give their attention to something that they, they are interested in that's not what we're facing right here. So all of those are recognizable distress flares that we can see in those seven languages. I wonder if you recognized any in yourself or in people close to you as we listed them. <laughs> uh, most of us find it easier to spot dysfunction in somebody else than in ourselves. One of the things I've learned uh, in my journey in the life languages is to identify my own distress flares faster and more effectively, more accurately than I used to. Uh, I'll talk a little bit more about that in just a second. But um, today's takeaway, remember, is that distress is always an invitation to make a difference. It's always an invitation to help, even though the person who's in distress doesn't recognize it as that. We can teach ourselves to see it that way so that when we see distress as an opportunity to make a difference, then communication is always strengthened. So let's talk a little more about training ourselves to see our own distress, because uh, if I can recognize my own distress, then I can communicate that in a way that helps other people to respond to it in an effective way and to see it as an opportunity to make a difference. My top three languages would be influencer, shaper, and then responder. And I've learned to distinguish my influencers' uh, distress flares of denying or arguing or escaping, to distinguish that from the criticize or eliminate or take over that my shaper would do. You see the difference there. Uh, and so I can recognize now, is this my shaper language that's in, con in, in distress or is it my influencer language in distress? And so very often... I can spot which language it is that needs attention and therefore I can look back and see what attention do I need to give because my response to an influencer's distress will be different to my response to a shaper's distress. Uh, now we've said this often, it's vital we remember it, we speak all seven languages at some time, at least every week if not every day and we can adapt into any one of the languages as appropriate uh, for a specific communication setting. So knowing my distress flares can actually help me to depersonalize the communication challenges that we were listing in episode five, the previous episode. So let me give you an example. Suppose I'm in distress in my primary language. My initial reaction might be to say something like, well, you know, I'm not the problem. You haven't understood what I'm saying. Um, I've had enough of this. I'm out of here. That's denying and arguing and escaping, right? <laughs> but instead I could say something like, uh, hold on a moment, my influence is in distress in this interaction. Uh, to ensure that we're communicating, could you find something to affirm in what I've been saying? Or maybe what would you say to encourage me at this moment? So I'm inviting help in the way that that language needs help based on my understanding of the distress I'm feeling on the inside. Of course, if it's a feeling language like the influence or responder, then I've got to de defuse those feelings so they come out as words and not just as reactions. If I'm in distress in a thinking language like the shaper, 
then I've got to turn those thoughts into words and actions so they don't get stuck inside me, uh, but I can, I can offer them to the person I'm interacting with. If I'm an action-based language primarily um, and that's in distress, then I may need to learn to back off of the action to bring in feeling or thought to the way I communicate my need. I have a friend who's a high mover and I've heard him say just several times recently, I feel this. And when challenged, he said, I'm actually not feeling it. I'm just saying I'm feeling it because I recognize that helps me to connect with the feelers around me. Kudos to him for learning to adapt. Um, He's putting his action and his thinking into feelings in order to build bridges. That's great. So if I communicate in that depersonalized way in a, a situation where I'm in distress, then I can, I can often open the door to a more productive outcome. I can often open the door to a successful resolution when otherwise there may be uh, a disconnect that's very damaging to myself and whoever I'm interacting with. So a different outcome is always helpful. That's why I love the, uh, the, com- the quick reference guide to the life languages that very often we recommend to folks in, in workshops because each page on here goes through all the details for each language and uh, the extra stuff in here that's not in your profile is very helpful. There are visual cues to recognize the language, verbal cues, non-verbal cues, how to affirm that person or how to affirm that language and also how to frustrate them, how to motivate them and what they really need from us. So for each of the languages, one on each spread here, I can go through and I can very quickly see how to deal with the distress that we're experiencing. So I hope that's been helpful to you. All of us experience distress, but if we can learn to recognize it, not just in others, which is often easier, but if you can define it, then you know what to do to help, but also to recognize it in myself so that I can open the door to others to help me, even if they don't understand the life languages yet. Uh, Those two approaches will help us uh, to make sure that distress doesn't derail us. So I'd love to recommend the uh, communication introductory resource bundle that's on my website because that helps us with the question of which language are we speaking. Uh, There's a a free chart within that bundle uh, that will help you to figure out which language are we in in any interaction as well as a video that you can watch. It's a a video module about communication basics that will give you some really clear ideas, helpful hints for you in any communication, whether it's one-on-one or to a larger group. So that's $9.99 on my website at markburlinson.com. Love you to go there and pick that up if if you'd be interested in that. And... uh, Message me from there, because I'd love to hear your feedback. What distress have you seen in your interactions? How have you got along using some of the pointers that we've given today in the relationships and the settings where you communicate most with individuals or with groups? Let me know how it went for you and make your suggestions for future topics for this podcast. And we'll see you next time.